I really want this to be the most exciting uh, pocket conference recording. Okay, so I'm gonna play something and I'm gonna point to you and then you're gonna say, ladies and gentlemen, here with spreadsheets, Eric Mantle, and then I'm gonna need you to like really, really <laughs> go for it and just cheer, all right? Okay, so. Ladies and gentlemen, here with spreadsheets, here is Eric Mennell. Oh, stop it. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh. That means a lot. Oh. Okay. On to the keynote. Uh, so, so first off, I, I've realized now after talking to people that the title of this is a little deceptive. We're not actually going to talk about Pro Tools much at all. So if you're here for like a real Pro Tools masterclass, I'm sorry. Feel free to leave. Uh, I will not be offended much. Um, what we are going to talk about is uh, basically as producers, as reporters, as researchers, archivists, whatever you might be, um, we're constantly collecting stuff. And a thing that doesn't happen a lot in radio jobs is there's no training on like, what do you do with this stuff as you're collecting it? How do you organize it? Um, I, over the past uh, several years, have held very different kinds of audio jobs. I've worked at member stations. Uh, I've worked on weekly shows. I've worked on big, like six month long, like documentary serialized projects. Um, and over that time, I've had to like kind of develop different systems for how to keep track of all my stuff, be it contacts, be it uh, notes you're taking in the field, be it the audio itself. Um, and so today, I'm going to sort of walk through step by step from the moment like you're in the field still collecting stuff, or even before that, to the point where you're like back in the office or the studio or you're a couch, wherever you're making stuff. Um, and uh, how to organize that stuff along the way. My sort of fundamental belief is that like organization uh, is, is like more of a state of being than it is like a, a single moment in the production process. And so a little bit about what I'm gonna talk, a little of what I'm gonna talk about today is how you can just constantly be organizing along the way and, and the value that will provide. Um, so let's just get rolling. Um, when it comes to organization, there's sort of two different things that I am constantly thinking about uh, with the process. The first is this question of what will make my life easier in the future. Like a thing I'm always thinking about is, I know how I get when I'm writing a story, when I've got all my tape and I know kind of what I want the story to be, um, I know how my brain works at that point. And the worst thing for me is when I'm like looking for a piece of tape and I just can't find it. Or I'm looking for a link with a fact and I just can't find it. It's so incredibly frustrating and it gets you out of the zone and out of the process. So I'm constantly thinking, what is gonna help me in the future? And so a lot of what I'm gonna talk about throughout is motivated by this idea of just thinking about your future self. The other part is, how do I not lose things when I'm not even sure what is important yet? I think when you're working on a story, or a project, you often don't know what it should look like in the end, and so you're not sure what to collect. And so even instinct to like just kind of collect everything and throw it on a Google Doc somewhere. Um, I was telling people yesterday, I, I, just, I was cleaning up my Google Drive, and I found 11 different docs that are some different version of story ideas. 
and uh, and and they're from like over like you know six or seven years, and some of them I'm like that. I mean, it's very actually kind of sweet to look back at what you used to think was a story idea, um, but uh, the point is like. Google Docs get very uh, unwieldy very quickly, and it's, you have an instinct to just want to throw something somewhere, assuming you'll be able to go back and find it. So you should be constantly asking yourself this question, how do I not lose things when I'm not yet sure what is important? Um, so there's going to be three stages of what I'm going to talk about. The first will be while you're in the field. The second will be when you're like first back at the office or wherever. And the third will be when you're actually making the thing. Um, so when you're in the field, I, I do think like organization starts like with just the planning of what it is you're going after. Um, uh, so one thing I, I tend to do is uh, make checklists for exactly what I'm going for when I'm going to do an interview. This could be a field interview. This could be a studio interview. Uh, it could be on the phone with somebody. Uh, even just doing a pre-interview sometimes. I'll make a physical checklist of things that I want to know so I'm not just like out there with a mic or hopping on the phone and kind of like grabbing aimlessly to see if I can figure out what the story could be. So for example, with a 90 second news story about like a political speech, you know you're gonna need like three or four things to make this story work for, for newscaster, right? You're gonna need like some establishing scene tape, so it could just be like, if it's at a county fair, you'll wanna hear a pig oinking or something, or if it's like on the side of a highway, you just want like, uh, something like that. You know, you want a pull quote from the main speech. You want a reflection from somebody who's at the event, and then maybe like a second reflection to like follow up. And there's a kicker right at the end. Just make that checklist. So when you're out there in the field, you can look at your phone, got it, move on. Same thing if you're just doing like an interview with a main character, right? You're doing a 20-minute story. Uh, you know, you've got a two-way you've got to do with this main character. You know exactly kind of what you need to get to make that work. It could be sort of some establishing quote, something that makes them seem funny or likable when you bring them on stage, or if they're a bad person, something that makes them seem scary. Um, you want and a couple of different anecdotes, right? You want uh, a story that kind of gets you to know them. You want a story that is like the big moment of your story. You want something like after the big moment. Just make the physical checklist. I worked at Gimlet for the last four years until very recently, and uh, I worked on a show called Startup most recently. A couple years ago, I did this story on uh, Startup that was about a music streaming company called GrooveShark. And GrooveShark was like a very early version of what Spotify would become. Anyway, so I knew I had this main character. His name was Jack, and I had pre-interviewed him, so I knew he had a couple of good anecdotes he had tipped me off to. I knew he was like an exciting guy. So before I go in to do that two-way, I have at the very top of my prep just the things I know I want to get from Jack. I know I want to get the story of when he gets his first contract. It's $24,000. He feels like he's rich because um, he's like 19 when he gets his first job or something. Uh, he has this great story about grassroots marketing uh, and putting flyers that have typos all over the cars in Gainesville, Florida. And I know I want him to talk about this big moment for the company when it transitions from a downloading music company to a streaming music company. It's like so ahead of all the other companies and he, I know he can tell that story well. And I wanted to talk about his bosses. So those are the four things I'm gonna put up at the top because I think, I think even early on, I'm like, I think these will be inflection points in the story. And I mean, this interview was done three months, I think, before the story aired and those anecdotes, are all, they all made it in the end. Uh, I think if you've thought about a story pretty thoroughly, even before your initial interviews, you can kind of get a sense of where you want to direct stuff. 
um, and having these like checklists that you can go back to towards the end of an interview can be incredibly helpful with that. You know you have 20 minutes left uh, and there's like two things you know you still need to get. Just having that list of the most important stuff at top is going to be very helpful. Yes, question. Um, so what is it that you do before you get to this point, right? So have you had a pre-interview with the person? Have you read a bunch? Like, how do you get to the place of like, okay, these are the things, you have very specific things you want to ask, which means you know stuff before you're doing this. In this scenario, I've done a pre-interview. I've read a couple of articles about the company, like bigger articles that have been written about the company. Um, so I have a, a baseline for information that I'm going in. And the idea here is like in the context of organization, is like we have an instinct to collect everything and grab at everything. The more you can limit yourself to like things that you know are going to be interesting, the more helpful it's going to be. Um, like there's, it, I, I think all of us have had the experience where you feel like, oh, I could just like talk to this person for four or five hours, but often your deadline and the realistic, like like the realities of like what you need to make, don't allow for doing four or five interviews, four hour interviews with every character. So being able to limit yourself in that way going into it is incredibly helpful. Uh, at the end of last year on Startup, I did this series called Startup Bus, and the premise of that was um, it's a hackathon uh, where a bunch of people, strangers, come together on a bus for five days, and they have to team up and form brand new companies, pitch ideas to each other and form a new company, and at the end of the week, it's like Shark Tank. They're like pitching against each other to see who like wins best company. And they don't win anything, like there's no money, like there's like literally no reason for them to be doing this other than they're like super nerds. And so it becomes like a reality show. When I had originally pitched the story to startup, it was going to be a one-off, like, you know, 30-minute episode or whatever. Um, but as I was down there, I was, like, realizing, oh, there's a lot happening every day. And there's, like, a, like, three or four, like, really interesting characters. And there's, like, three or four interesting conflicts happening. We could experiment here and try to do this, like, in real time, where you follow the story over the course of five days, just, in, like, chronologically. In order to do that, though, like I knew I would need a certain amount of tape to pull that off. Like, you know, every day, X number of things need to happen just for the story to be full. So I started making these like checklists these on my phone. I'll, I'll pull up a screenshot of that in a minute, right? We just have a list of things I knew I needed to get every day in order to pull this off. So I knew I would need an opening scene for every episode. I knew I would need a sense of place and momentum, sort of like B-roll, like the equivalent of like, the TV shot of the bus just rolling down the highway or rolling past the lot, the like sign that says, welcome to Georgia. Um, the version of that I had was they would always, every time they moved into a new city, someone would get on the, the uh, microphone on the bus and say, we are now in Atlanta or whatever. So I know I need to have that stuff to tell us that we are still moving. I need a conflict every day, an interesting conflict. I knew to pull off 20, 25 minutes for an episode, like you're probably gonna need like a two-way or a one-on-one -on -one with a character each day, uh, if not two people. And then I wanted two scenes every day where something was like actually happening. Like maybe they're developing a marketing plan or maybe they're like fighting about like terminology or like it could be really lame or like maybe something really great would happen. But I just needed something to happen twice a day. And so I would make these actual checklists um, I would use the apps note on my, or the notes app on my iPhone. Um, this is a screenshot of it at the bottom. This was like on Thursday. I think I wrote, want to get Madalena one-on-one, Ash one-on-one, Alex and Kareem one-on-one. It's just, I knew those were the interesting people by like the third day in, and I knew I needed to have like a two-way with each of them to get a sense of like what was motivating them to be there. 
So as I'm going down, like on the bus with these people, I'm in the field, I'm just like on my notes app, here are the things I want to get. Again, just limiting myself, creating constraints in order to like help pull the thing off in the end and not be just swimming in random tape after the fact. Um, are there any print reporters in here or former print reporters? Okay, so this is gonna be like so basic for you all. You'll be like, this guy. Uh, a thing that I did not do early in my career at all and, and still like have to remind myself to do is to take field notes while you're reporting. I'm gonna talk about this in the context of field reporting, but I think it's also applicable in, in studio environments as well. Field notes are important for a couple of different reasons. One, I think there was this instinct that I had for a long time that if I am recording everything, I will remember everything. But the fact is, if you're working in anything that's like remotely narrative or written, you're not gonna remember everything, remember everything just by the way it sounds, right? Like you can't hear the color of someone's shirt, you can't hear their haircut, uh, you can't hear what kind of dog it is that's like panting like in, during your interview. And so writing that stuff down can be incredibly helpful for a couple of different reasons. Your memory's not as good as you think it is. Um, but also, as you go to take field notes, the things that you are remembering to write down immediately mean something. Like there's a reason that stuff is sticking out to you. Um, and when I say field notes, I mean that in a couple of different ways. I'll do this in a couple of different ways on any given trip. So the first way I will do it is I'll take overview notes like at the end of the day um, and it's just like a literal list of like high level things that happened that day. Uh, on the day one of this startup bus story I just told you about, I met Alex, I met Adam, I met Colleen Lavin. Uh, going down a little further, their pitches happened. Uh, phishing, they like came up with an idea for a company that would be about email phishing. Later on in the day, they made a logo that like with a fish that actually looked like an atomic bomb, which was a terrible idea. Um, but it's just like high level overview notes that I'm taking every day so that later on when I'm going back and I'm trying to recap to everyone what happened, I can, which, like which day is it that they made the atomic bomb fish? Is it Monday or was it Tuesday? It's very easy to just like scroll back and find that stuff or control F and find that stuff. The other version of this is um, writing dispatches. And this is like a thing I've started doing a lot more of and have found incredibly helpful for a couple of different reasons. So at the end of the day of reporting, uh, if I'm in the field, like a thing I will do is sit down and write an email or a long Slack message or something to my editor or to my team or to somebody. It could just be like, if you're working alone on a project, it could just be a friend who knows that you're doing this. Um, just to write down like literally everything you remember in like a diary style entry. Um, this is from Startup Bus. Uh, and I was like at this point just writing back to the team. Yeah, what happened on day one? I have like a sort of by paragraph. This is like a crazier example of this. Um, I have this like long story that will never happen. Uh, it'll die in my closet. This makes me so sad. But I've been working on it for a long time and for a while. Um, like I was doing this with, with um, the, uh, with Pat Walters, who, who's at Radiolab right now, I would send him these emails that is just like a long email after like a day of interviewing. Um, this one is when I wrote from the airport immediately after I had done this interview. It says, uh, hey bud, my flight got delayed by two hours, so I'm just gonna write until I get bored. Will probably be a long one. Feel free to ignore all of this. Um, so this is the first page of that email, and then it just keeps going, and then it just keeps going. Ends with, wow, what an email, woof. Congratulations on getting this far, if you did. 
I think about this almost as like the first draft of my story in some ways. Like I know that the thing I just did, like I can come out of that interview and be like, this was a good interview. I know it's gonna be in the story either as like a little beat or as a scene or something. This is sort of the first time I'm thinking through how it worked, what was interesting about it. As I'm typing it out, I'm already sort of self-editing. Like I know there are details that like aren't actually that interesting and it's like blah, 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 and I'll get rid of those. But like for the most part, I'm like, well, this could be interesting, that could be interesting, and I'm writing that down. I'm already starting to think through how I'm gonna build this story. Uh, yes? Uh, the question was why both, why both overview notes and why dispatches? Yeah, why, why both the, the dispatch and the, and the field notes? How do you see them as uh, different if you have to choose one for the day, or do you always do both? Yeah, so the overview notes is a thing I feel like you can even be doing on the fly, depending on what's happening. It depends on the kind of story you're covering. Like, you could just be writing down, like, a quick thing. I mean, if you're working on deadline, like, that's, I think, incredibly helpful. If you're, like, especially if you have to turn something around by, like, the end of the day or tomorrow morning, you could be even putting time code in with your, uh, like, as you're seeing it happen. The dispatches are a little bit more of a luxury, especially on longer projects. Um, so I think there's, like, different applications. Yeah. So if you're out, say, at an event like that or for a whole day, um, say you're talking to a lot of different people within the course of three hours, do you keep that on one file or separate it? Um, audio file? Mm -hmm. I'm talking to one person over the course of three hours? No, sorry, many people. Like, say you're talking to, it sounded like one of the things you were going to, There, it was an event and you were talking to multiple people. Right. Would you keep it all in one file or separate it? And would that correspond with your notes at all, like the different files? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna to get to a tracker that'll show some of this in a minute, but like just as a quick answer, everyone's gonna, I think people have different opinions about this. My sort of instinct is to like break a recording after it feels like a scene has ended. So like I'll be talking to somebody and then I'll be like break the recording, go on and talk to somebody else and like try to keep rolling. But like sometimes you can just do that with like one button depending on what kind of machine you have. But I, I find it, incredibly difficult to have like a three hour recording that is actually an interview with like 12 different people who may or may not be good. I think like if you're able to break it up, like that's kind of my preference, but people might feel differently about that. So this is another reason that I feel like doing these like dispatches is, is very important. And I, I've started to call this like the, the Jim Comey effect. Um, and that's fact checking. Like in a ways that your memory is not as good as you think it is, um, that may not seem like terribly important, but I think particularly in this moment that we're in, like everything in your story, whether or not it's like a breaking news story or like some longer narrative, you need to be able to back it up. And some of this stuff is happening in an environment where like you were the only person witnessing these things, or maybe it's just you and one other person witnessing something. And so it's either going on your word or their word or nobody's word at all. It's always helpful to be able to have some sort of written record from as close to possible as the mom at the moment to fall back on. Um, so I'm gonna, this is the only piece of tape I'm gonna play in this entire session. And it's not even that interesting a piece of tape, to be honest, but I think it does prove a point. Um, this is from the Startup Bus series, and so it's talking about these two characters, Adam, who came on the bus very nervous, uh, and Parker, who was one of his teammates. And this is like towards the end of the competition when they're about to pitch their company they've started. Parker's talking to Adam here, who's about to pitch for Denari on the main stage. And I feel like it's worth hearing what Adam sounded like when he first got on the bus. This is him on Monday. I'm nervous. Yeah, what about? Well, I'm, I'm new to this thing. I'm new to hackathons and startups. 
I'm a risk-averse, cautious person. So, like, me doing this is just, like, very outside of my element. Compare that to Adam now, as he stands across from Parker here in New Orleans. This whole thing has been what I've been about for so long, like, this whole idea that we're pitching here. And, like, now I'm on a bus where it's like I'm being taught how to, like, raise myself up to realize it, you know? So it's like there's no reason not to be hype as fuck. Like, that's the point, right? Like, I'm here. Take advantage of it. Adam punches one hand into the other, and then, as he walks away, jumps to smack the low-hanging balcony. Um, so you can kind of hear him punch his hand one into the other, um, but you cannot hear him jump and, like, hit that balcony, right? Like, that's just a thing I remember happening, and I can still, like, kind of see it in my mind. But, like, nobody else would have remembered that, right? And it's just such a small fact. The one thing I can do is, as, like, to help my fact-checkers out is I have, like, a day four, like, note that I wrote down Denari feels confident at the comp, Adam jump. And it's not like, I mean, like, at least for me, it's enough to say, yeah, that actually happened, which is important. Sometimes I'll even handwrite these things, you know? I'll just, like, if I have, like, a, like a night where I can just, like, go out and, like, eat dinner and, like, spend a little time on my own, I'll just, like, actually handwrite the, uh, my field notes at the end of the day. And part of that also is, like, Handwriting is slow and painful, and like I do it so little that my hand actually cramps up now after like four minutes. So like the things that you're choosing to write down, also again, it's like self-editing. Like you're having to like create a constraint that is making you think about what is actually worth writing down right now. Um, let's see, tape. Okay, so when you're still in the field, how do you manage your tape? Uh, the first thing is everyone is backing up their tape all the time, right? There's like way too much silence. Okay, back up your tape constantly, every day, back it up twice, put it on the cloud, put it on a hard drive if you have one. Um, always be backing up your tape. Just like build it into your system because the worst thing in the world is like you accidentally drop thing in water or you like lose the card on your way back home or like there's just like so many ways things can go wrong. Just back up your tape all the time. You know that, I'm just gonna, I just felt like I needed to say it. Um, so one thing I'll do at the end of every day is like not just dump everything on a hard drive, but actually start organizing the tape from day one. This takes, I mean, this is like on my day one of audio collection for that startup bus story. It probably took about 30 or 40 minutes at the end of the day. And in the end, it saves a lot of time because when you're first getting these files off of whatever you're recording on, they're always named like G03 underscore 002.wave, which means nothing. Um, but the thing you can do is like you can preview the file and like sort of break things up into scenes already or even label the files themselves. Uh, this is a thing that I've like, I have built into my system. Like I always tell myself like end of the day, I'm tired. I just wanna like watch American Pickers in the hotel and go to bed. But like I can organize my files while I'm watching American Pickers. It's not that hard. Um, so start thinking about folder structures and ways you can figure out what your files actually are. The worst thing about this is when you go back to the office and you have 45 files that all have these crazy names, you don't know what they are, and you've got to go through and re-listen to them again to figure out what you actually need. So if you can just build that into your system while you're actually like doing the thing, it'll make things easier down the road. Again, imagining your future self and how to be more helpful. Um, with Startup Bus specifically, just to like kind of explain what's happening up here, like I knew uh, that there were different like sort of legs of the trip that were often punctuated by rest stops um, or like places that the group was at. And so I would just put things in folders 
based on first the day of the week and then what was happening that day. Um, and then occasionally, if I knew it was like an important piece of audio, I would go ahead and rename it. This is, I, people are very afraid of renaming audio files because I think particularly in Pro Tools, like things get mislinked and you lose things and it just becomes like a nightmare. Uh, but if you are gonna rename your files, like this is the point you do it, like right at the beginning before you've loaded it into any editing software. Um, I know that these, this is a two-way with Darlene Jones that I'm gonna want later, so I'll just like label that now so I can go back and find it. Back in the office. Okay, so you're back in the office now. You have these field notes. You have all this tape. It's on your hard drive in a nice, beautiful way. This is where spreadsheets come in. Um, I really love spreadsheets. So the thing I want to say about spreadsheets is I'm not actually that good at them. There are lots of tricks that people have with spreadsheets, um, functionalities. I do not understand them. I am not like, uh, I, I did not go to business school. I, I don't, I haven't read the like, Excel for Ninjas book. Uh, I don't actually know how they work that well, but I've been using spreadsheets in some form since I was like seven years old, right? Like something like that has been like sort of present in my life for a long time. So it's a format I'm like fairly comfortable with like looking at. So that Groove Shark story I was talking about, I'm going to show you a spreadsheet now. Uh, one thing that happens when you're reporting this story is you often have a lot of contacts, people you may want to interview or have interviewed and you have to find a way to collect all that information. Some people will just like leave it in their emails and they'll be like, if I need to find this person, I'll search in the email inbox. Uh, sometimes they're writing you from multiple emails though. Sometimes you forget how to spell their name. Is it Chris with a C and an H? Or is it Chris with a K? Um, and so what I like to do is collect all my contacts in a single spot. And so for this Groove Shark story, the way I would do this is I just set up a spreadsheet that has like first the organization that people worked for, then their name, their role at the organization, the years they were there, email, phone, uh, status was like how much I had talked to them at that point, if I had reached out to them, and then any other notes that felt important. Um, so here you can see these are all the people who actually worked at GrooveShark, and then I would color coordinate to shift to people who were reporters who had covered GrooveShark, uh, people who were competitors and might be worth reaching out to. These were family members of some of the characters. These are people who were uh, not competitors at the time necessarily, but still might be interesting because they're in the music business now. So this is what I, how I kind of like started collecting my contact information all in one spot. Now this is where spreadsheets, I think, become most useful, is like um, these little tabs at the bottom. I think they have a name. I don't know what they are. Sheets. That seems redundant. Uh, what do you call the bigger thing then if these are the sheets? Workspace? Workbook? Excel calls it work. Okay. See, I'm not good at these, but I like, have hacked them to work with my brain. Um, so what I'll do then as the next sheet is I'll just do like a timeline of the story, right? So these are all the things that happened to GrooveShark starting with its founding on March 31st, 2006 all the way down to, uh, what's this last thing I have here, 2015, where uh, a clone pops up. This is a timeline of just like the lawsuits against them. Anyway, so I'll have like a date, what happened, any special notes or links that I want to the stories. And that's all right next to the contact information. Again, like with having 11 different Google Docs that have different stories on them, the thing I'm trying to do with this spreadsheet is just like eliminate the number of places I need to look to find something. 
So if you're able to collect your timeline and your links right next to your contact information, this is the competitor's timelines. Uh, this is tape I started to collect. This is a not, there's nothing here because I fell down on the job, but like I'll show you a better version of this next. Um, this is one of the first times I've used a spreadsheet like this. And I, always have, I almost always have a tab that's just like thoughts I don't want to lose. Like sometimes you'll be working on a story and then you'll be like walking to the grocery store and you'll think, oh, this could be like a nice line of writing. And you won't know what to do with it. You're like, I'll just remember that, but you probably won't. Um, so I always like have this like little tab where I can just like throw random ideas and thoughts that might be useful later that I can go back while I'm writing and just like skim through and see if any of them will be useful. Can I just uh, go back to field recording for a second? Because yeah. you went too fast and I didn't know. <laughs> um, so when you're out um, and, you're, and you've got like, you know, one day of reporting and you have 50 tracks or whatever, um, and you've downloaded them all onto your, your hard drive and you're starting your second day of reporting, do you use a new card? Do you, like, because, you know, because some of those uh, indicators of the track will end up the same, right? If you start a new card or, you know, do you yeah. think about that or? If I'm like on like a multi-day reporting trip, I, th I think I usually buy pretty big cards so I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I would just leave it, I mean like that's what I tend to do, like the less stuff I have to carry and change, the better. Yeah, losing cards, oh, that's so sad. That happens, it's like, the thing I, I should say about all of this is like every project you're gonna work on, um, that's this kind of story. Like they're all going to be a little different. They're going to have different requirements. And like even as we go through the few that I've worked on that are kind of like this, they're all a little different. I'm not like I don't think that I'm not like evangelizing like this is the way to organize your stuff. I think more like what I'm trying to say is like this is a way that I organize my stuff. And you should just like steal what's useful for your projects and like completely ignore everything else. Like you know how your brain works better than I do, and you know how your team works better than I'm going to know how your team works. So. It's finding a thing that can work for everyone. Um, oh, I do have oh, yeah, yeah, another yeah. question. It's related to the f the card and the field. Um, yeah. Like, when do you actually wipe your card? How many? How? how when do you feel safe? I wipe my card like three years after I'm done with the story. I almost never wipe cards unless I absolutely have to, and I'm like, that thing has been published. I know it's backed up somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't erase anything. Like, data weighs nothing. Like, deleting a card. I mean, like, I guess, like, if you only have one card and you, like, can't get another card, then, like, figure it out. But, like, your life doesn't get lighter because you're not carrying audio around. Like, just keep everything. Keep everything. Oh, good question. It just, like, hit me in a really special spot. <laughs> I don't know why I reacted so strongly to that. Okay, so a lot of people are not working on these like long stories or even 45. Some people are working on weekly shows or episodic shows. Um, so uh, at Gimlet, a couple years ago, I helped produce this show called Twice Removed. It was a genealogy show, and it was episodic. And the, the premise of that show was um, it would have four or five stories every episode, and all of the characters that were like the main characters were like linked through family. Um, they were all related. Uh, and so... I built like a spreadsheet for like tracking that uh, show. And it's a little different because it is episodic and it's not individual stories. So, um, so for example, our first episode was with uh, Dan Savage, the writer and columnist. And what I did, I was working with a team of four people uh, to produce this. And it was important that everybody be able to access all this information because 
I don't know, maybe you're working on a story and you have to disappear for some reason, like you're on vacation or you just like get sick and somebody else needs to pick up the story. It's important that they be able to find all the contact information, that they know the status of where things were left off. And that was sort of my thinking as I was putting this together. So this works in a few different phases on this sheet in particular. So over here I have like just leads and ideas. This was like very early in the production of an episode. We're just sort of like throwing people we may want to talk to at a board, right? It's just like playing darts with ideas. And that's what we're collecting here. And we're putting producers' initials next to them. Contact information, phone, and any other notes or links that are relevant to that lead. Phase two was like once you got past the like random ideas section, it was like actual tape you were collecting. So here we have Dan, um, this guy Abdul, uh, Pervez, Jane. These are all people we actually wound up going to interview. It's like a culling down of this like random idea down to actual interviews and their contact information as well. And then from there, it's like, okay, great. Now we have the tape. How long is it? Is it logged? Did we cut it? This Dan one is a little half filled out. Uh, Ted Allen, this is the second episode we did. At the bottom here, what I have are just tabs for each episode in the series. So we have Ted Allen, uh, we have Gene Gray, the rapper, Abby Jacobson, uh, this other story we did called Ginny. So each episode is following pretty similar formats. Anyway, the point of this is just to say you can find ways to use similar tools and different kinds of processes. I think if you're a beat reporter, oftentimes you'll be covering a story for a year or two at a time and you'll be coming out in different segments. Like you'll do something on morning edition uh, once a month that's on this same beat. And I think these kinds of tools can be helpful for that. Keeping your contacts, keeping what information you have. A lot of times people will do like small stories over the course of several months and then like combine into a bigger feature later on. Collecting all that stuff in a single place I think can be helpful. Um, how much at Gimlet say, how much of this is standardized um, uh, along all of you and how much of this is like, oh yeah, Eric's crazy, but we don't do that on this show or we don't do that with this person, you know what I mean? Yeah, excellent question. It was never standardized for a long time. Everyone was kind of figuring things out as they go along and it's just because I think like even though Gimlet is like, like well-resourced compared to like, especially like doing something independently, um, everyone is still spread pretty thin and working on a bunch of things at any given time. And so there isn't a lot of time to like communicate stuff between teams always. And now um, I just started talking to people about these spreadsheets and stuff in the last couple of years because like word was getting around that like, oh, he knows how to like make a show calendar. He knows how to like keep contacts in one place. And so people would more and more start asking me and it slowly became like versions of this were popping up on other teams as well. Certainly not every team, but like other teams, which is a great segue into the nucleus. Um, so a colleague of mine, her name is Meg Driscoll, she um, worked with me on Twice Removed and has since gone on to work on this big investigative project. And she took some of these same uh, principles and started like building a bigger, better version of, of this like master doc, you know, to organize everything. And so I have a version of that here um, for the this series I just did for startup on church planting. The premise of the show was like, there are new churches starting every year and they're starting using the tools and techniques of like venture capital backed startup companies. Um, and we knew it was gonna be about a five or six part series. Uh, we knew we'd be reporting over the course of several months and we have a lot of contacts. Early on, you're not sure what the story is, but you're just like collecting stuff 
from all over the place. And so Meg and I talked about her nucleus and the thing I had been doing, and I sort of like basically stole her idea. So much like that first Groove Shark story, the first page on the tabs down here, I just have our contacts, right? Um, this is the all the contacts at one church, followed down here, contacts at different churches. Again, with just like links and notes here on the side. I started like figuring out how to like lock columns and stuff. So you can see as I'm like scrolling, that was a big day for me. <laughs> this is uh, the church planting network that I knew was gonna be helpful and all the people who were related there. I'm just breaking these people down into like categories um, in which I might wanna be able to find them and then I color coordinate because it makes me feel better. I think it helps a little bit when you're scrolling through trying to find people later on. The next tape thing I have down here is called a tape tracker. And so with this, I'm literally writing down the day I collect a piece of tape, the file name, a description of what it is, how long it is, has it been transcribed, has it, have selects been pulled, and are there any highlights in the tape? And then, this was like Meg's like genius innovation. If you're getting all your tape logged or transcribed, you're doing that on docs, right? Like you have like documents somewhere with the transcriptions. Just link to the transcription that I don't have access to because I'm in the wrong account, sorry. It looks like a transcription, it's not interesting. Um, just link to this transcription with the list of the audio itself. The reason I'm collecting the total runtime here for the tape, and the reason I think that's like pretty important, um, is because as you get later into the process and you know, oh, this is a piece of tape we haven't had transcribed yet, we haven't had selects pulled, it's good to be able to just quickly assess how long that's gonna take you to do that thing. So I know this is an hour and 20 minute long recording of band practice. And if I'm like, oh, I actually need to know everything that happened at band practice, I can say that's gonna take me like four or five hours to really like go through and pull selects and like log and all that stuff. Whereas if it's like I have 10 seconds of junk street noise, like I know I can assess how long that's gonna take me to deal with. So I do think like taking the literal five seconds it takes to write down how long a piece of tape is can be helpful later on in the process. Then again, yeah, just like linking to your transcriptions down here. This is a Google spreadsheet? This Google is on Docs. Google Docs, yeah. Does that mean it's searchable? So if you wanted to find the phone number for a particular contact, you could just enter that person's name and yeah. it would pull it up from the spreadsheet? Yeah, you can. Which again, like you can do in your email, you can do in like 12 different places, but like my whole theory is like get everything in one place as much as possible. When I was working on church, this church planting series, my editor, Lulu, was in Virginia. I was in Brooklyn. We were both often traveling for the show. We had another producer who was helping us uh, that was like commuting between Brooklyn. and stuff. So it was just like, people are going to be all over the place. A lot of people are going to need to access it. And oftentimes, when you're working on these projects, people are going to jump on halfway through. You know, like you'll have someone come in in the middle of whatever it is you're working on, or they'll come on for a temporary basis. Being able to direct them to a single place where they can find all of your transcriptions, where they can find a list of the tape you have, is just like imminently more helpful than saying like, we have a server, it's all on there, figure it out. <laughs> um, and Google Docs is like, and Google Sheets, like Google Drive in general is just like a godsend for this stuff. Like it is just easier to share amongst your team. Uh, two, it's really two questions, but I'm curious about both of them. Transcripts, uh, how do you do that? Do you use a technology to do it? And then, and then how do you do your selects? Do you do them within that file? Do you pull them out and have separate wave files? Do you like, talk to me about selects. Talk to you about selects. I feel like this is like a whole other session. Um, so to answer your, 
transcription question, uh, it just depends on the resources you have available. Like if you have the money, like there are pretty cheap transcription services that will do it now. Um, uh, some are less cheap that are a little better. Um, I use Descript a lot on this, which I've found to be like pretty good. Um, I, I mean, it's like none of this stuff is like locked, like like word for word, but it gets you know pretty close to the to the point where you can scan through it and find what you're looking for. Yeah, but if you're working independently, you may not have any budget for that stuff. And I like I've I mean I hand logged for a long time. I mean this stuff didn't exist till like two years ago. Um, and I often find it helpful to log the tape anyway. Like I'll listen almost everything I'm doing. If I'm not like doing a transcription, like I'm logging within the session. So I work in Pro Tools, I, I, and so this may not be applicable for everyone. But like I am like kind of breaking the tape up and labeling what's happening in it as it's going along. It's helpful to remind yourself like what happened in the tape, even if it's like two or three days later, just to like re-listen to things. So I, that's what I do. As far as like pulling selects, yeah, it's all happening like within the session. Like this doesn't really keep track of like what selects you've pulled or anything like that. That's all like happening within session itself. Um, and I should say, I just tweeted this out right before this because the yesterday's group had asked if I like could send out a template. And so I have a template like this that I just tweeted with like the third coast hashtag, so you can like go in and like steal what you want from that. Please do. Um, and then if it like sucks, like send me feedback as to why I could be doing better. I would also appreciate that. Um, the next tab I have down here is a production schedule. Again, I'm just trying to collect everything as much as possible. Um, and we broke it down by like week and day and things that need to happen. Um, Lulu Miller uh, made this, and so it's all sorts of funny colors that I don't understand because her brain is like operating on a level that I will never reach. Um, but like ignoring the colors, like the the function of the thing itself is like incredibly helpful to be able to like again one place where your whole team can go. Okay, and then the next tab I have is important dates, and this is a thing I did for this story because I knew I would need to get a certain number of scenes to pull this off. And so I just made a, a list of potential scenes I could go at starting in March. So I knew this, like, this was a conference on March 5th. This was a conference on March 7th. This was a conference on March 16th. I'm not going to need to go to three conferences. Uh, but like, maybe I'll want to go to one conference. I'm just having them all there right next to my production schedule so I can see like, where things fit in. If I know that like, on March 5th, I actually have like, an edit of an episode due, I'm probably not going to go to that conference, but maybe I can go to the one next weekend. All sorts of like different events that could potentially be useful tape. What else is, oh, and this is just research. So this is where I was just like collecting random articles that I thought might be useful as I was going back to write. Church attendance numbers, articles about one of the planting organizations. You find random links all the time when you're doing this stuff and you just need a place to put them um, so that you can go back and find them later if you want. This is just where I was collecting that stuff. Wish list was just like characters that I like thought I could go after if they if I found them useful. And then I had a tab for outreach and marketing, like people that I thought would be helpful in helping to like tweet about the show or I could get on their podcast, people we could reach out to about writing articles. Um, you know, at Gimlet, we were working like yes on a show team, but also. Um, you're working with a like a with a marketing team. You're working with a sales team. You're working with like editors who maybe like aren't like exactly on your show, but they're doing something relevant to your show and they want to know when things are happening. And it's often easier rather than like sending them all. Like you can just send them the link to this thing and they can look at it and figure out what they need to know. 
Um, that's kind of how this formulated. Hi, are you always the document owner and creator or do you have a team Gmail that you create these from? And also, do you enable anyone with the link can edit or are you more protective? Um, uh, it depends, it, like really depends on the story. Um, some of this, like I, I don't think I would like build one of these documents necessarily with a bunch of like sources, like information on it that I didn't want. Like potentially, like I mean, like you never want your thing to get hacked, right? So I would certainly not like build one of these things that allow thirty people to access it if it's like information that you just don't want thirty people to have. Like that's certainly true. In terms of like who owns the thing, I mean, I like just because like I've created them, I own them. But like other teams, other people will own them and create them. And in terms of edit versus view, I think you can share like with specific permissions for individuals. So I think like I'll, I'll tend to like think about that a little bit. Um, like most of the stuff I'm working on isn't terribly sensitive and like most of like even these people's like contact information like most of this you can find online to some extent. Um, and if there's anything that I do feel protective over like I wouldn't put it here for everyone to see. I think it's like it, yeah it's kind of like depends on the project. Oh this is pretty quick. This is just like ways to organize your audio folders themselves. The most obvious way for some of these stories is like chronological like you can organize things based on when they happened. So with this like startup bus story, again, it happened day by day, beats within the day. I kind of understood like that was gonna be the spine of the story was gonna be chronological. Like I knew I would just be traveling from day one to day five and there would be a thing that happened at the end. So that's how I chose to organize these audio folders. Another way is by character or chapter. And so with the church planting series, it's much less chronological. There is like a chronological thread, but like the ideas themselves aren't really based on like time as much. What is more important is the characters uh, and the things they are going through and like these scenes that I have with them. So uh, looking at this sort of like file tree here on the left, um, I have these like high level things that are like raw tape assemblies, which are like functionally rough mixes. The mixes folder is the thing, that's the only folder like engineers at Gimlet would touch. Like we'll just hike up a folder where it's like, okay, now it's like ready for you engineers and they can ignore everything else. So mixes is like when it's in pretty good shape. Trailers and promos is its own folder. Any music we're allowed to use. And then I collect all my tracking, all my voice tracking. I just do this in one session uh, and I give it its own, its own folder. And so I'll like, uh, someone asked about this yesterday, and I didn't think this was interesting, but apparently people think this is interesting. Like the way to, I will often do tracking on a story is like for every episode, I would just have one tracking folder, and every time I go in to retrack, I'll just create a new track and keep it in the same session, rather than having like four pickup sessions that have like five minute recordings in them. Just keeping all the tracking in one place, that way if you need to go back and like find like a small pickup from one of the tracking sessions, you don't have to like try to remember which tracking session it was in. You can just go back and find it. From there, like within the raw tape, um, you can see that it's kind of broken up again, sort of by character in a way. Restoration Philadelphia is a church, and like all of those characters have their own folder. AJ Smith was the main character in the story. Anytime I did a one-on-one -on -one interview with him, I put that in that folder. His audio diaries he would send me, I put that in that folder. It's all just like AJ-specific stuff. His wife, Leah, had her own folder. Um, and then anytime I would visit Restoration, like just go on a visit, I would create a folder for that and store the audio files in there. 
Um, I noticed that you have numbers on your folder. So one, AJ, two, Leah, three, is that just chronological based off of like, I'm making a new folder, so I'm going to the next number? I don't have the numbers on there when I start the story usually, but as I start to figure out what the priority is, I give it a number. And that's so when you have things um, sorted by name, the higher number or the lower numbers, like it's like golf, right? The lower numbers shoot towards the top. I know these are the folders I'm going to the most frequently. I don't want to have to like dig through a bunch of folders to find them. And so I'll put numbers based on the ones that I find most useful. So like again, raw tape, I'm in there all the time early on. I'll just leave that as number one. Assemblies will be number two. I'm almost never touching tracking until the very end. So like that's number six. I don't need to see that. Same thing over here with like Restoration Philadelphia, Acts 29, all the way down to ZZZ trash. Uh, which is stuff I don't need to look at. ZZZ is always going to go to the bottom. Um, Do you ever incorporate tasks or to-dos or production processes in these spreadsheets? Uh, the production calendar would like be a version of that. Like within those individual days or weeks, I'll often like put a task with someone's name next to it. Are you thinking beyond that? No, but multiple people using it for that sort of coming to it for the for the task management side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when you're working with a team, especially a small team, like I'm very okay with other people adding and subtracting. Like I want people to help manage the thing itself so like they can go in and add tasks and hopefully people will see them, point them out. Yeah. I also have another question, nerding out. But um, do you have any best practices for when you make your columns and rows? Like I'm mad at myself when I make a bad spreadsheet that I could have organized better from the yeah. get-go. That's a good question. Like you have too many columns or not enough. Um, I don't get mad at myself about that. Like I get like, I have so many reasons to be mad at myself. Like the spreadsheets are like pretty low, honestly. But I would like to be doing it better. And I think like with each project, you learn things that are most useful. Like I kind of know now what my contact sheet needs to look like because that's the thing I've done for a few big projects now. I have a sense of like what's going to be most useful and how it's going to be useful. Um, with the tape tracker, like that's getting closer as well. But you can also see even there, like I have this like description where I write, describe what's in the tape. And for a lot of it, I don't even have that much, I don't, I don't even use it. So I'm like, okay, like, I, like why do I have this column? Which is a thing I will think about next time. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, this is all still pretty new for me in a lot of ways to like be having to think about things in this way so it's like still an evolving process and again like every project is different and shows are different and the teams you work with are different um and people will come on having better processes and like trying to build those in so yes i mean i guess i'm like a little i guess i'm a little disappointed when i don't like nail it every time but i wouldn't say i'm mad at myself for that. Um, I didn't see who asked the to-do task management question, but for whatever it's worth, I keep a tab at the front of my spreadsheet that just is called master to-do because um, I find it very useful to have it associated with the project. But anyways, my question is about the, you showed us a tab with um, like a story timeline, and I want to know if that was migrated into the spreadsheet after it was developed or if that was your workspace. Like were you storyboarding in that tab and kind of trying to figure out like, okay, here's how we're going to assemble the story, um, you know, in this order, or was it, yeah, was that moved in after the fact? After no, that was like, I think that was like based on like research, like just kind of like, are you talking about, was this um, the, the Groove Shark one or this? Maybe I missed, yeah, maybe I missed what the timeline tab was. Um, it appeared to be like, here's what happens at, you know, 
here's what happens first, and then here's what happens second, and then here's what happens third. Like um, actually structuring the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like actually, let me show you this real quick. So this is like actually my last slide, um, uh, and it's this, I've started sort of like outlining stories in spreadsheets sometimes, um, especially these like multi-part things. So like with the startup bus story, I started sort of plotting the beats of the stories in a column, writing that would like get me to the tape. And you know, I kind of at that point I had pulled my selects, I knew what the tape could be, and I was like then writing to it. And this is again like kind of creating an outline or a, um, uh, a storyboard almost for, for each day of the week. Um, welcome to startup, blah, 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 blah. Here's Eric, and the show starts. So, and the reason I started doing this way is that, um, and I don't, I don't, I actually don't know if I love it yet. I've only done it a couple times, and I still feel like I'm getting comfortable with it. But um, when you're working on these like multi-part stories or things that take place even over the course of like halves of a show, moving one thing affects everything else, and it's so much easier to be able to like grab a thing from like, oh, it turns out we actually don't want this one-on-one -on, -one on Tuesday. We want to put it on like. Monday instead right here and I can just move it that way rather than moving between two giant Google Docs that have the scripts already written out um, I would never write my entire script like this that seems like Did you guys listen to Song Exploder? Did you listen to that episode with um, the guy from Weezer? What's his name? Rivers Cuomo and he like talks about using spreadsheets to like mix like he writes lyrics down in one column and then he just like puts like riffs in another column and he'll mix and match until they feel right it made me so sad <laughs> that like that's how you make music and i feel like i'm working myself to that point <laughs> like write ideas down write tape down and mix and match until you have a story um this feels like it's getting there i don't i don't think i'll ever get much past this but this idea of like being able to move stuff between episodes or between parts without having to like switch between giant scripts and just to see it, I mean, this is like really big. So like this is not how it would look on my screen, but to be able to look at it in this way and think about it almost as like a graph or a chart rather than an endless collection of words is to me very helpful. Yeah. Where I spend like a year on a street corner uh, and so I'm gathering a ton of tape uh, and one episode uh, was tracking a city council decision that was made over nine years. So I had all of this raw audio, well not, all this audio from the city, uh, and I had somebody go through it. This is a sort of a one more spreadsheet that's crazy. Uh, so nine years of uh, audio, and I, myself and an assistant went through it all, and she pulled like a thousand clips okay. that were all in a spreadsheet. Okay. And this gets to your, so I knew that there were certain issues that I wanted to cover. I could search by word. So if it was around zoning, yeah. I could search within that, that one spreadsheet and anytime, anytime there was anything on zoning, I would get to that thing. I mean, it was, yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about it and I would love if anybody's done anything similar how they do it because it was, when I, when I went to approach it, I was like, oh yeah, I can't listen to a thousand clips. Like I'm just not going to. So, but she's done all this work, so what am I doing with it? Yeah. No, this, I think this is a thing film and television people actually have set up. Like they have an entire infrastructure and people whose entire jobs are just to make that thing exist. Um, uh, and like audio, like we're in the golden age of audio, I know, but like we're not film or TV and like we don't have those resources and that infrastructure, right? Like we just, like podcasting hasn't been 
around long enough to know exactly how to pull that off. And so it's awesome that you have that sort of thing. You should build that technology and then sell it for a billion dollars and then make all your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I have a question about uh, organizing your audio. So you had your folders of your own audio, but when you work in a group and it's collaborative, um, and say you put all your audio on a cloud, how do you all do that together? Do you just have your own folder and your organizational stuff and then somebody else in there? Or yeah, so that folder I showed you was on a server. That was on a central server that everybody on my team could access. Um, and it's like usually like one or two meetings where you just like establish this is the way we're going to do it, you know. And if you're, I mean, if you're on a show that's like weekly, like you may come onto the team and that already exists. Or if you're starting a new show that's going to be weekly, yeah, it's just like a meeting. It's like I'm, I don't like meetings, but like sometimes you need meetings, right, to like just figure out what is going to be the standard and get everybody on the same page. And that stuff might change over time. I mean, the important thing with organization, especially on a team, is like maybe one person's really excited about it and nobody else cares at all. And so it's like finding ways to get people invested in the process, like helping them find something that's like comfortable for them and then also like showing why it's important along the way to, to helping the thing move more fluidly. Um, just in terms of tape organization, and I'm, I feel like I should know this, but um, when you're mixing, where do you put your session files and, and um, does that go with your raw tape? Like, like physically, where does that, the, the audition or the Pro Tools like session files go? Yeah, so um, oftentimes, it, it, again, it depends on the project. With the church planting project, uh, sometimes I would put it in with the raw tape. That was mostly what I was doing. Um, two quick ones. Um, that server that you're talking about, um, do you upload your files, like if you're in the field, to that server? And have you had any trouble with like speeds or you know, like getting a lot of gigs and gigs of tape to your uh, collaborators? Um, yes and yes. Yes and yes? Yeah. Is there I a mean, solution to that, or is that a constant problem? Uh, I think it's just a problem. Like, yeah, it depends on your internet connection. I had remote access to the server, so that, that helped. But if not, you could throw it on Dropbox, you know, temporarily, which is like something. And then have you, um, like, have you worked with someone who's like, my brain just does not work in spreadsheets. I can't, I can't handle this. And how did you resolve that conflict? It hasn't happened yet. I mean, I'm sure those people exist. And maybe they're just not telling me because I'm like so adamant. They don't want to hurt right. me. But yeah. yeah. That's actually a good, um, so sort of two-part question. One is, do you, is this like, you said you've been making spreadsheets since you were probably about seven. So is this just like, you know, some people want to color code their notebook at the beginning of the year. Is this your personality? Or was it something that you came to because like the work demanded it? Like you were like, oh shit, I'm screwed if I don't figure this out. Probably both. Probably both. To okay. some extent. Then my next, my follow-up question to that is how much time, if you had to like carve out in your brain, how much time am I spending on the organization and the and the making sure that I'm, you know, putting anything I did into the into the tracking documents and like keeping everything going. Yeah. How much time do you think you spend on that, like as a percentage of your overall time in a week? Oh, almost none. I mean, it's like compared to like the writing and the listening to the tape and the cutting and the, like that stuff takes so much more time. This is like. Like when people wanted the template like, for me to send out of this thing, it took me 30 minutes to put that together this morning. And like, and in that process, I was just like, 
looking up like a fake story, I could just like link as examples. And I was like, let's do something about a cheese heist. And so I was just like, and so I got distracted in that 30 minutes, like reading about ways to cool cheese and like all these cheese heists that have happened. So it doesn't like take, it doesn't take that much time to actually get it set up. And if you build it into your process, it just gets faster and faster. It's like exercise, right? Or like, um, like anything you do, you know, you just like build it into your system and then you don't think about it as much anymore. I think you're probably an organizational person in your, in your core, but I like it. Thanks. Hi. Um, are you manually entering all this information into each spreadsheet? I feel like if everything's in Google Docs, you, there's like possibilities for like tools or Google Forms, or you enter things in one place and it kind of auto-populates. There's definitely time. like yeah, people who are like, and if people have come up to me and said like, you can use a form and then you can fill out here and it will auto-populate, which is like great if that's how your brain works. I don't really understand Google Forms, and like a lot of this is a reaction to me not wanting to learn something new. Like, like I've tried Trello four times and I'm like never really can make it work. And if someone, if I had a boss who was like, you need to figure out how to make Trello work, like I would make Trello work, but it hasn't happened yet. And so with like forms and auto-populating, that's sort of like been my reaction too, is like with organization, I'm just trying to find a thing that is like as low lift as possible, but still has a pretty high like reward later down the road. Okay, uh, thank you all again so much. I appreciate it.